haven't even got a creative intro on this one because the title speaks for itself. Everything is crooked. I hate this. Weird. <laughs> Welcome to episode 478 of Motorsport 101. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. Joining me as ever is Cam Buckley, as mentioned in our last show. Just me and him on this occasion. Um, RJ is uh, at, at Petit Le Mans as we speak. It's busy walking road Atlanta, the lucky bastard. I know. It's, he's, he's so lucky for it. He, he's just left us to talk about the state of bike racing at the moment because uh, it's, it's, it's a fascinating time for all the right and wrong reasons because, well, we're going to cut to the chase on this one. Mark Marquez is it's official. We now, it's, it, it's kind of amazing that we kind of knew this was going to be the inevitable end of how this story was going to play out, but it yeah. didn't make it any less shocking when the press release finally came out. No, you could see the press release coming from months away, and it still hit like a ton of bricks when it finally dropped. Right. And we still haven't even gotten confirmation of where he's going to go. We all kind of know where he's going to go. Of course. Um, but, you know. Yeah, it's it's not ideal at all. Um, I mean, we, we all know it's Grassini, but we just can't say it yet. And we're getting into towards- wars. I mean, whoops, my bad. God, what a leak. Um, <laughs> poor journalism, Dre. Oh, um, no, but um, I'm trying to think of the best way. Was I'm going to get straight into this here? Well, well, I'll do the social media stuff at the end of the show. But um, this is this is this is a straight in warranted sort of discussion. I mean, uh, I guess we can start off with some of the numbers, the hard numbers. Eleven years in the top flight. Six World Riders Championships, 59 Grand Prix wins together, but no more. Mark Marquez will depart Repsol Honda a year early on his contract at the end of the 2023 season. What the hell? <laughs> you lowballed some of those numbers. We didn't even mention 101 podium finishes, like 64. Added to that. Six. Just added to that yeah. this weekend. Yeah, you, you finished third <laughs> in Japan. 101 podium finishes, 64 pole positions, the most of anyone in top flight history. Um, and just again, I, I, I could own before I get into this, we are talking about for me the motorsport talent of the century. I have never, and I do mean ever, have seen anything like Mark Marquez on a motorcycle ever. I mean, we talked at length in the Formula One episode, right, about the gladiatorial nature of motorsport. Well, no one embodies that, for better and for worse, than Mark Marquez, because we have seen him do things on a motorcycle that beg our belief, where you have to to rewatch the replay five or six times. Did he save that? Yeah. He kept, he stayed on the bike? Oh, he kept going? Oh, he's still winning the race? Okay, cool. Um... I mean, on on raw ability and talent, the most absurd individual I have ever seen watch in motorsport. There has never been any. He's 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 Usain Bolt in biking form. We have never seen uh, there's a great clip when he runs that famous nine point five eight world record in Berlin, not the nine point six nine in Beijing where he runway was beating his chest fifteen meters out from the line. The nine point five eight, which is the current modern day world record he set in Berlin a year later, 
Paul, I think it's Paul Dickinson is his name, the great athletics commentator in the UK that's been doing this for 30 plus years on the BBC. And he said, I've never seen anything like this and I am unlikely to ever again. Um, and that's as far as Mark Marquez, that was simply weekly. Yes. For, this is- until about four years ago. Yeah. Every week it was. So what kind of crazy shit is he going to pull off this weekend? Yeah. Um, and yeah. for better and for worse, that is what has defined him since he since before he arrived in the top flight. I mean, he was rewriting the rules on how to ride a motorcycle back in Moto2. Yeah. But when he came from the back of the grid to win his 10th race of the year as a 125cc rider, as a 16-year-old, Toby Moody, one of the great commentators in MotoGP history, said himself, he knew that kid was special the moment he saw that race. He knew he was going to be a future world champion. And he was. And, and, and we, we lowballed it. He's become one of the greatest riders we've ever seen. Like We could, go for, we could talk for an hour alone on the ridiculousness of Mark Marquez. In, and there is a reason why he is the biggest name this sport has had since Valentina. There is a reason why even like Why we... We gush about him every time we get to talk about him on this uh, on this podcast and, because yeah he he is he is the rider that more than anyone else is willing to go jump out into the unknown and discover what others are not willing to. This is the reason why on a bike that does not work has not worked well since 2015. Mm. He racked up 59 wins. More than Doohan. More than Mick Doohan. Man, they should retire that number one. I mean, Mick Doohan really owned that thing in the 90s. <laughs> he's, but, had a, he's, he's, a, he's had a better top flight career than Mick Doohan. Arguably the greatest ever. Many people many people think he is the greatest ever. And there's the, guy an argument. Made, the guy who made the 500cc class irrelevant in the 90s because... So they just thought, oh, no one else is very good. No, it's just because Mick Doohan was beating everyone's ass so bad no, until his final career-ending injury. Yeah. The, the question, but, yeah, the, the question I put in the script here was, what does this mean for Mark, for Honda, for Grissini, and for the sports at large? I'll tell you what it means for the sports at large. The sport just won. The sport, oh, yeah. the sport got its wish. Like nobody won with Marquez on a uncompetitive Repsol Honda, which, and let's be real, even before his horror arm break and the saga that's come with it since, he was papering over a, the cracks of a Honda team that was already in decline and in free fall. Um, they, paid the, they paid the price of complacency. I mean, from 2015 onwards, the bike deteriorated. And there was a couple seasons where it was a little bit better, but generally speaking, it was a bike that only worked on its front end, mm. had no rear grip. And by 2019, <coughs> mm, more COVID. By 2019, Honda's solution was to stick the most powerful engine they could possibly muster into the existing bike, compromise everything about the bike besides its strong front end, and then say, well, Mark, you are the greatest rider on the planet. You need to deal with what this does to the bike. Yeah. And and there were issues in 15 and 16. 17 and 18 were a little better. 19 is where it became very clear that Marquez is the only person who can ride this bike. 
This bike broke Jorge Lorenzo. Another five-time yeah. world champion. Another arguable top five rider of all time. A monster of a rider. And how quickly we forget, but 2020's preseason for Honda was an unmitigated disaster. They put that bike out there with all new aerodynamics for 2020, and it didn't work at all. Uh, There was no way to get the performance out of it. And indeed, they got no performance out of it until Mark and Honda took the executive decision to bin their entire aerodynamic philosophy for 2020 and go back to the 2019 air fairing. And that's that's about as good as it got from there. We know the we story. We know he broke his arm. We've 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 talked about it from there at length. We know how the story ends from here. And like I said, the sport wins. Like Mark Marquez yeah. will be on a competitive motorcycle for the first time in half a decade, if not more, next year. And let's be real. His raw unfettered ability is the reason why Andrea Davizioso didn't win at least three championships on a Desmo Sedici that by 2017 had begun to evolve into the best bike in the field. Yeah. Um, Still had problems and really it still had problems until really 21. Mm. But the upside of that bike (coughs) was tremendous. Mm. Um, And as the old adage goes, if you can't beat them, join them. Eventually you join them. And I find it very funny that Ducati's management, their racing management is like, we don't need Marquez. And then Ducati's CEO is like, crack? Is that what you guys smoke down there? <laughs> you crack? smoke crack? <laughs> sign that man. Here's a blank check. Go sign Mark Marquez. And let's not forget, we, and if anyone has any illusions about how badly Mark Marquez wants to win, he is, from what I've been told on good authority, he is leaving 18 million euros on the table to leave this team early. For him, he it's just not- quit. He just quit the biggest contract in motorcycle racing history. Yeah, it was over a hundred million dollars. Now, apparently, the, the signing bonus was eight figures. The signing bonus. He he's walking away from 18 million euros to join Grassini on a cut price deal, likely with Red Bull probably slipping a check in there to to, you know, to help him out. But mm. like it, it, by any measure. Like, and this is unprecedented. Mm. No one has left a factory to do an effective downgrade of this type. No. I, even when Valentino walked from Repsol to go to Yamaha, Yamaha gave him the keys to the entire kingdom. Bring whatever you want. They were, bring whoever you want. Pay, bring pay your you whatever team. you want. And we're already making major changes to the 04 bike. You define the direction. We will build what you want. I'd yeah. say it worked out pretty well for them. Yeah, brought over. Jer- um, they gave Jeremy Burgess the king, the keys to the castle, and they won immediately. <laughs> yeah. In this case, Mark is coming over with no one, and for one season on a satellite year-old, what will be a GP twenty-three, the bike that is almost certain to take home this year's championship on account of the fact that Marco Bezzecchi just shattered his collarbone. I mean, 
equipment aside, because the equipment is the obvious thing here, a year old Ducati is still, I mean, in some cases it's better than the current bike because Ducati has not always stepped forward with the development of their bikes since they've, you know, hit their heights this year, mm. in this recent era. But to walk away from that much money, to walk away from Honda, not out of frustration with their management, not out of another opportunity with another factory, but out of the frustration that their bike is simply unsalvageable. He walked this has aw- never happened. He walked away in tears. The, the same day that he announced he was leaving, he was in tears announcing his decision because he really did not want to do this. He gave them every chance to give him something for the future. He gave them to, I mean, Dre, <clears throat> the reason why I brought up that 2020 preseason, Honda is still there. They still can't make aerodynamics work. They still can't get the back of the bike to grip. And worse still, when Paul Espargaro and Stefan Bradl and Takanakagami defined the direction of the current RC213V, Going into 22, they redesigned much of the spike, all of the arrow, much of the frame, swing arm, the works. And in doing so, they fixed none of the problems, but they took away the one masterpiece of the Honda, which was its front end, the ability to manipulate the front tire. And in trying to make a bike that everyone can ride, they've made a bike that no one can ride, that does not respond to development, that and did you watch all in on amazon prime i watched bits and pieces of it i never actually finished it funnily enough when mark marquez points to the massive gash in his arm i did see this from the surgery (laughs) from the final surgery to re-break his arm which had rotated 33 degrees out of rotation he had to go to the one yeah 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 he had to go to the mayo clinic to get that fixed but that's the last resort surgery number four the fourth surgery, the get together in a Mayo Clinic, which is the number one private practice, arguably in the world, knowing that if this didn't work, he'd, be, he'd have to retire. And all stemming from the fact that in 2020, no one at Honda stopped him when he got back on that bike. Look, motorcycle riders, you need to stop them. If they think they can ride, they're going to ride. Marco Bezecchi just had his collarbone bolted back together. He's going to try and race this weekend. Hmm. We'll see what happens. Alex Rins tried to get back on a bike after destroying his leg and had to have the proof in the pudding that he could not ride. Honda didn't stop Mark Marquez in 2020 because they knew he was their crutch. He is the only thing making that bike work. They are still there in 2020, unable to make this bike work. He gave them two years. Arguably free. <clears throat> Four of his prime. He was twenty. He was he was twenty six years old when he signed that contract. He was entering his prime. He's lost four years of his direct prime. And don't get me wrong, a lot of it is self inflicted. Sure. But Honda had the ability to stop and say, "Hey, rather than uh, five days, take a month off." He still probably could have won that one that world title in twenty twenty, given how much of a shit show it was. Twenty twenty was a mess. The world champion won um, one race. Nobody won more than three. How's that current world champion sh- uh, doing on the Honda? Injured. Um, Permanently. Um, so to walk away from 
Honda to walk away from all of this to get on little Grassini. I love how Matt Oxley put it on Twitter. <laughs> Fausto's probably upstairs going, God, look, Mark Marquez just signed for my team. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but pretty much. It was like, holy shit. I was like, yeah, like Fausto Grassini, God, God rest his soul, is probably grinning like a Cheshire cat up in heaven, knowing that the Marquez brothers, you've got two world champions riding for you, two multiple time world champions riding for your team. That's crazy. You think that wasn't an influence as well? What do you think? The, what do you think Alex and Mark talk about over dinner? Oh, how 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 good's your Duke? Ugh, like no shit. Like <laughs> Alex Marquez, who's having his best MotoGP season of his career so far on a and Ducati, it ain't close. and it ain't even close compared to what he was doing on a Honda. Like, oh, come on now. I mean, let's not play dumb here. This is a huge. Like, honestly, I can't believe I'm saying this because this is to the original question. Everybody wins in this. The sport gets a marketer's wet dream in a Grassini team. Think about how many Palmer Violets are going to be on the grid next year with the Marquez brothers being teammates in the same camp. Ducati have just snagged, at least for a one-year rental, arguably, they now have arguably the two best riders in the world, maybe even three I in their camp. I think they have three of the four. I, I think they might. They have four of the five. Yeah, they, like their lineup is now somehow even stronger than what it was already. Like Grassini, like, like how, how many like how many like blue jackets are you going to see in the crowd next year? A bucket load. Whole lot less orange. Whole lot less orange. No, and um, Mar- yeah, Marquez and- gets his freedom. He, in, you could see the relief on his face when he signed and announced that deal. Well, and he said it as well. And, and again, it's not confirmed he's going to Grassini, but he's going to Grassini. It's yes. the only it's the only spot. The thing that struck me in the chest reading reading that his statement is that I can't keep effectively I can't keep doing this if I can't love riding riding a motorcycle. It's Calvin John. It's Megatron. Yeah. It's that the Honda is so bad. The situation is so bad there. It's killing his love of motorcycle riding. Yeah. I mean, you could see it at the Saxon ring. Mark Marquez is still, in a technical sense, undefeated at the Saxon ring, but only because he bent that bike into enough knots this year, flipping it off as the bike refused to comply. He He injured himself five times that weekend. Trying to force something that was it was just never going to work. Six, he was six. He crashed six. six broke times. multiple ribs. Yeah, the warm up was 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 one too many. That was the sixth crash he'd had that weekend. He had three in qualifying. Alone. I think that was it. I think that was the final inflection point. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. You could see it in his body language that he was at, and Mark Marquez is beyond one hundred percent. He was beyond one hundred twenty percent. He lives beyond that, that line. that's why he is who he is. And the bike simply stood, the bike dug its heels in and refused. And I think that was it. And then it was just a question of getting out of the contract. And again, the only reason he can get out of this contract is he's because he's going to a satellite team. Unreal. All of this just feels so unreal. And look, 
I, I, I've, I've, I'll say, I said it in my notes and to wrap up this little segment in a bow, I don't think there's a loser in this scenario. Maybe Honda to a degree, but even then, I think this rebuild could actually do them some good in the sense of they actually now no longer have the pressure of having to rebuild their factory of also having to appease to their star rider and the relationship that they had with him. Yes, it's going to suck that they have lost to Mark Marquez. Of course it will. But they've needed a rebuild for some time. And the, the shock value of losing the best thing they've ever had as a rider should take some of the pressure off them to help commit to this rebuild. And if it's true they're going to bring up Johan Zarco, which they might do, there, but there's rumors they're going after Miguel Oliveira as well, which would be a very, very interesting hire if they did. But if they promote... Johan Zarco is one of the most experienced riders in MotoGP. He's an excellent developmental rider. He's done very good work on poor machinery many a time in his career. He's a little bit of everything at this point. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the only guy in the field that's ridden for four different factories. No one else in the field has. Um, it's, he's a very the problem useful, is Dre. Yeah, we're gone. Is that I think the other inflection point here? I don't think it matters what rider they put on it, and I don't think that like if that final press release that the he is leaving does not open the eyes in HRC, they might as well pull out of the sport because nothing will. Not because they failed to hire any European talent as far as development on the bike, and they swapped the person who already developed, helped develop this bike in as overall technical director. They didn't bring in any outside uh, ideology. They didn't change. And if HRC does not change, they will not return to the forefront of the sport. The game has changed. The game changed back in 2015 when we started seeing wings bursting out of the fairing of the Desmo Sedici. Mm. Um, and Andrea Iannone was killing seagulls and riding like a madman around Phillip Island. Mm. That was the start. It just took this long to finally break. We've we've seen it. We've, we've, We've said it on this show numerous times. Ducati has been the only factory that's committed to moving the needle and moving the direction of development in this sport. And they're responsible for the reason why we're here. Why, why the sport is at this inflection point where Ducati now completely dominates this sport and anyone that's not on the Ducati can only do so much. Brad Binder, for example, Jack Miller, for example, Alicia Spargaro, Maverick Vinales. These are the best non-dukes the in the is, field, Dre, but they're not, they're at, not competitive. But at that same time, now it's all three European factories. It's Ducati bringing everything. It's Aprilia showing up with ground effect fairings. It's KTM showing up with carbon fiber fa- uh, carbon fiber frames. The game has changed. All three of the European manufacturers now have something to hang their hat on. Mm. A real development direction to take their bikes to try and up one up each other. Ducati were the first and they're still riding that wave. And they probably will for the foreseeable future. Honda have brought two new aero packages in the past season. It really hasn't changed much. Their 2024 prototype was a dud. And Yamaha, I can smell them from here. Because you've got Fabio Quattararo and Cal Crutchlow saying opposite things about the bike. Fabio's screaming for more power. They gave him more power. It ruined everything else about the bike. Cal's yelling at them, turn down the power. 
and turn down the arrow because all the basics are wrong. Yeah. You and they're both working yeah. in the, like both Japanese factories seem to be, they're bolting things to their existing bike rather than starting from the ground up. Ducati had to start from the ground up back in 2015. Yeah. You, you look at the difference I think between, it worked. Yeah, look into that difference. Like, they took the early pain of dumping their GP14. I remember that GP14. It was a boat. It was a big, chunky, uncompetitive for the most part boat that only excelled when it got wet that mitigated its problems. Like, the, 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 the GP15 was immediately a far better bike with far more potential than anything that had come before it. Dre. Remember the lap in 2015 at Coda? Oh, yeah. Who did Marquez have to beat on that lap? Andrea Davizioso. I remember it to this day. On that GP15. That's before it began sprouting the wings. Yeah. So it's been it's been a, a, a long con. But now the Japanese manufacturers. And you know what? Suzuki had it right. And it is a crying shame that they left because they were the only ones to really get their act together as far as this new era of chassis development. So let And then they bailed. Yeah. The other two have to change or continue rotting at the back. Because that four of the five that Ducati now have, the one left is Fabio Quadraro. And he's stuck at Yamaha for at least another year. Yep. It's going to be a very interesting 2024 offseason because Daniel is a free agent, Bastianini is a free agent, Quadraro is a free agent. Technically, Mark Marquez apparently will be a free agent because he's only signed a one-year deal with Grassini. This is essentially a rental. Um, but there's big rumors that KTM will open up a can with Red Bull back in to try and bring him to KTM for 2025. We've got Pedro Acosta on the way in. You know, you know, as a small note, he's replacing Paul Espargaro next year. So, uh, wow, that, that was a, an eyebrow raiser. Um, I can't yeah. say I'm shocked. Yeah. But it still feels like, because Paul is one of the old state, elder statesmen. Mm. And I don't know if there's a place for him in the, in the new MotoGP. It's wild. <laughs> it's all wild. Uh, I mean, it's... <sighs> I'm going to try and put a neat little bow on this as best I can and just say that this is, I mean, I, I'm i fortunate enough to be able to call some of the people in the MotoGP Media Center and Paddock friends. Um, I they, They've said to me, and I, I, you know me, I work for the race. I've made it quite clear. WTF1 is owned by the race. Um, I'm very lucky to be able to work with them. And I will tell you for free, this was the biggest story they've ever covered in MotoGP in terms of traction, in terms of hit rate, and in terms of how much content they've produced regarding it. Bigger than Valentino Rossi's retirement, which kind of well, which kind of says it all. This yeah. was the biggest MotoGP story of modern times. And well, the, this, the rider that defined the last decade has left home. The ramifications of this will be felt throughout the sport and beyond. For Mark Marquez, personally, it's freedom. It's freedom from a bike that has given him its greatest success, but also taken the last four years of his career away. It is, for Honda, it's it's the final consequence of their own incompetence for the last half decade plus. 
and they will feel this pain for a long time while they try to rebuild themselves as a factory. At least I hope they will try to do that. For Grassini, they've hit the jackpot. They're going to have the Marquez brothers in the same house. Mark Marquez will be, in my opinion, an immediate title contender at worst going into this situation on a competitive machine. And that, that is, it's going to be a marketer's wet dream to have them in the same team together. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, open discussions with MotoGP journalists between them and Ducati engineers. Some of those engineers are salivating at the prospect of Marquez on them because they know the data better than any of us watching yeah, can. Right. And, and I quote, if Marquez gets on a Ducati... The rest of the field won't see which way he went. Frankie Karczewski, who is Johan Mir's crew chief, also said that too. They said, said that's, that's who I'm referring yeah, yeah, to. Yeah, 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 that's exactly what he said. Yeah, he said they ain't got a chance. And that man managed and was crew chief for a world champion in Johan Mir. He knows exactly what he's talking about. The, and the grid knows what they're dealing with here. The sport just won. Like The sport got a huge dub out of this. And like I said, the ramifications of this will be felt for a long, long time. This was a massive story. It's the end of an era. The uh, the alien era, I think, as we know it, is dead. Like this was the final. This was the final curtain call for that era. Welcome to the, the era, end of the era. old era. The, the The rule of the Japanese manufacturer has ended emphatically. It's been slain with a thud. Yeah, it's it's slain. Ducati will win the Manufacturers' Championship for the third year in a row. They will almost certainly win the team's title as well. The only thing stopping them is actually the fact that their second bike has not been competitive for most of the season, unfortunately, due to Bastianini's injuries. Premac on the current, with utilizing the current bike, they will almost certainly win the team's championship at a canter. And we're looking at a a probable, it it depends on Bezeki's health. Again, just had a training crash, but they're probably looking at a podium lockout in the Riders' Championship. Mm, exactly. Of some order of Pecco, Martin, and Bezeki. Exactly. More on that towards the end of the show. But uh, we've got to talk a little bit about the Japanese Grand Prix we had a week ago um, as well. It was a very... Some of it. Some of it. I mean, we, we got half a Grand Prix here. I mean, we it was, it was a dominant, if shortened, weekend by Jorge Martin. He comfortably won the sprint race, which was in the dry. And then in the Grand Prix, well, we had a very interesting situation where it, it started to rain just as the formation lap was about to start. It was very similar to Assen a few years ago. Maybe not quite as quick with the rainfall, but it, we had a situation where... Three or four laps, really. Yeah, like two or three laps in, it really starts to come down to the point where the slick tire is unusable. Um, and we had every, pretty much every leading bike on the grid go in for a bike change, flag-to-flag rules, um, because we had the white flag come out on the warm-up lap to say, yeah, this is officially a flag-to-flag race. You can change bikes if necessary. Um, and the rain came down, and they switched bikes early. Jorge Martin went wide early on, but was able to recover from seventh, got, to the, got back to the front of the field quite quickly, um, and then the rain really started to come down. It was it, it became thunderstorm level conditions. Um, Mark Marquez was running third at the time, and it says a lot when Mark Marquez puts his hand up to say, "Brace direction, that's enough." Basically, yeah, it took, it took a, once it really started coming down. It was another, I'd say, two laps. 
but conditions just continued to deteriorate and deteriorate until it was it was i think they called it on the correct lap um, 13. it was just it was just too much uh too yeah. much rain because i mean we've talked about with these bikes if uh, these bikes are on enough of a uh, knife edge in the dry um, we started seeing a couple people go down. Uh, specifically, Johan Zarco went down. Massive wreck. A gigantic crash. Mm. Um, sadly, fell short of one of our favorites here. Mm. Um, with the ruling uh, that meant that he could not take the then aborted restart. Yeah, it was. So here's the situation. Um, there was they, they red flagged it on lap 13. Remember that it becomes important later. Now mm. they red flagged it on lap 13. Mark Marquez sees a bolt of lightning in the background and was like, "Nah, that's enough." And race direction promptly agreed. Red flagged the race. Now this was originally meant to be a 25 lap race. Again, this is important. I promise. Now, as a result. Our old friend, the Mahias rule, came back to rear its ugly head. Remember that? Um, that back up like the Undertaker. Yes. Um, he was also back on NXT last night. Um, but, uh, yeah, as you do. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, the Mahias rule gets in. Johan Zarko had to try and get a mostly dead Pramac back to the pits within five minutes of the red flag being declared. He made it. Just one problem. He took a shortcut and didn't enter via the pits to get back to the garage. We think MotoGP has not released an official statement as what as to why Johan Zarco was not eligible to take the restart. Um, hence, you may have seen some jokes on Twitter regarding quote free Zarco because no one exactly knows why he was disqualified um, from the restart of the race. Dot dot dot. Not that it mattered, because when they tried said restart about you know, half an hour later, the conditions had not improved. They put everybody out for a formation lap, and multiple riders, including Mark Marquez and Fabio Quattararo, about halfway around, raised their hands again and said, you know what, no, that's enough. Um, this, is, this is too dangerous to restart. MotoGP was like, yep, we agree. We're, we're, we're aborting the restart. I mean, at that point, they were out of light. Really, yeah. I mean, and the cameras, the cameras always actually help the light situation for us a little bit. Yes, of course. Um, it was practically night there with the sheer amount of rain coming down. Yeah, um, it, it, it was, just would not have been safe to continue. Exactly. Um, for those who don't know, to appease the Jap, to appease the European audience a little bit, because let's not forget, Dora is, is a Spanish company. Um, Mateki takes place at three p.m. local time. The sun normally is down by six. So roughly around that time of year in Japan. So you've only got about three hours of sunlight to play with. If it gets dark via rain or just generally sunset, if you have delays, you're in trouble because you've only got about three hours of sunlight to play with. Mateki does not have floodlights like that because the floodlights will cause dew on the track. You can't race in that sort of condition. It's too dangerous in the first place. So you can't just race at night, um, well, for example. So the the restart got aborted, um, and MotoGP was like, well, we, this, they're saying the weather says it's not going to improve for like three or four hours. We're going to call it, basically. We're, we're, going, we're going to call it right here and now. And because... They had literally done just enough. They did 12 laps out of 24. The the 50% race distance threshold, it was called. 
declared a result, full points awarded. Jorge Martin wins the Japanese Grand Prix ahead of Francesco Bagnaia. Mark Marquez with what could be his 101st and final podium for Honda. On brand as ever. Um, Very romantic in his own words. A a romantic, potentially final podium for Mark Marquez in, 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 uh, in Honda colors. Um, but like, I do find it funny, and Gavin Emmett pointed this out on Twitter. Um, that uh, yeah, Saturday we raced for half points, and on Sunday we raced the exact same number of laps for full points. It's kind of amazing how that turns out in the end. Um, mm. Don't get us wrong; we, I, I, I believe, we're, in, we're both in complete agreement. It was absolutely the right call to call it when they did. Um, yeah, I mean, and the shame is really is that like the conditions had improved during the red flag. They put them out there and just the ocean began falling on the, uh, I believe it was the north side of the track. And before they even got back around, it's like, okay, it, it has to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they were just like, no. Like, if the riders raise their hands, generally speaking, race control will take that as the sign to declare it, basically. That's always it, been the tradition it, of bike These people hop on 300 horsepower um, aluminum and carbon fiber missiles with no protection. If they're saying it's unsafe... Call it's it. probably a bad situation. You call it immediately at that point because it, we all know that riders will race in just about anything. If they think it's too dangerous, then you take their word for it and you 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 stop. And then they, they absolutely, in my opinion, made the right decision to stop. Jorge Martin was a missile again. Um, another Completely, perf- complete control. Over yeah, the com- yeah, complete control of the weekend. Dominated the sprint. Won comfortably. Banyaya... We're at the point where Banyaya can't afford to take seconds anymore. Like He's lost a 66-point lead. Now, this is not all of his own making, of course. We all know the reasons, the predominant reasons as to why he's lost that 66-point lead. It's not all on him. What I will say, though, is, is that we buried Fabio Quattararo last year for blowing a 91-point lead last year, and Banyaya has just repeated history. He's blown a 66-point advantage. It's now only three points. Um, and he doesn't with... have the equipment excuse. No. He's on the he's, he's on an identical machine to his title rival, Jorge Martin, who now, all of a sudden, has got is arguably favorite now to win the MotoGP World Championship in for the first time in the MotoGP era, as we call it, on a satellite machine. Yeah. And, and I mean, <coughs> that's the thing is that Benyaya hasn't been bad. I no. mean, he's still racking up podiums. Um, he's still one of the fastest riders in the field. Mm. But what Martin has done is he's taken the raw speed that has never been his problem. And he's not dropping the bike anymore. And he looks to be in complete rhythm right now. Um, podiums in second places and third place are all well good enough for Banyaya, but not when Martin is doing weekend sweeps. Yeah. Martin's won the last three sprint races, and he's gone third, first, second, first in the last four races. He yeah. is, and it's he between is, these two. Yeah, he is. Because Bezeki's probably, I mean, he's 54 points out, and now he's riding with a significant injury, if he's riding at all. Yeah, he. for those who missed the news, um, Marco Bezeki earlier this week uh, had a training crash at the ranch, and he has broken a collarbone. He had surgery the next day to fix it. He is flying to Indonesia 
this weekend. He's going to attempt to ride on it. Um, but a collarbone injury is significant in, in for a MotoGP mm-hmm. rider. I, I, I doubt he'll be anywhere near his best. Um, good luck to him. I, I, I mean, the, the, the blessing in inverted commas of something like that is that at least with the pain, you can stop when it becomes too great. Um, at least there is that. The same thing happened to Alex Rins when he attempted to ride in Japan because it was, this was his first weekend back and he pulled out after free practice because the pain was too much in his leg. He, 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 he couldn't continue. Um, so, you know, it's it's a nasty situation. I mean, I feel sorry for Bears. I mean, Bears has had a fantastic season uh, and deserves all the credit in the world. Breakout um, star of the year. No question. No question. He's been phenomenal this season, and that's a real shame that his title campaign is likely over um, as a direct result of that injury because that's that's the way this sport's been all year. It's been utterly ruthless um, in that regard. We still haven't had a Grand Prix this year with a fully healthy grid. I've given up on that prospect. We're not getting one this year because, I mean, Rins, it's debatable whether he is going because, I mean, that pain in his leg is not going to go away. Mm-hmm anytime soon um marini out alex marquez still out i mean one of the hondas is launching someone up into heaven uh every two weekends just depends on who it is Mm -hmm. and uh i mean ducati's now got five hurt riders They've actually got yeah, they've actually got a genuine replacement rider crisis on their hands because Mercedes Piro got hurt. Mercedes Piro got injured in the Italian Superbike Championship decider this past weekend because he was absolutely speared by another rider, Imola, um, and injured himself as a direct result of that crash. So Chicati's in a genuine pickle here as to who they can get. Um, what I'm saying is they better have Alvaro Bautista's number on standby because uh, they're likely going to have to use it because luckily for them, World Superbikes is not back say, for another three weeks. That won Piero's opposition the title because the, uh, the, the other rider was on a Ducati. That's how he beat Piero for the title in that championship. As you do. And they, they were beefing with each other on a live stream on YouTube days afterwards. Italian motorsport is weird, everybody. Like, just just, just take my word for it on this one. Um, the big thing I've taken away from... We're riders, man. We are. Like, holy shit. Um, one big thing I'll take away from this weekend is that Jorge Martin is now probably favorite for this championship. Francesco Bagnaia can no longer rest on his laurels. He cannot just take the points and think about the next race. He now has to go at 100% to beat Martin because Martin is in impervious form at the moment. Um, we, but we, happen, we know what happens well to both of these riders when they push at 100%. They're both mistake-prone at the limit. Yeah, and for the most part, <clears throat> they've rectified most of that error. They they like for like Banyaya had India uh, you know had India as a genuine blip. We don't quite know what happened in Catalonia. I don't think that was on him. Um, that that yeah. looked like a textbook traction control failure. It did. I, I mean, with the Ducatis, I mean, there's a reason why the joke on this this show is death taxes. Ducati tucks the front. Very yeah. rarely are you gonna, are you going to have a high side crash. Correct. And so you know, it's not all on Banyaya. Of course, it isn't. But the reality is, he's lost his advantage. This is now a six race championship uh, between him and Martin. It's effectively a straight shootout for six races now, including the six sprints. It's now a, a straight shootout between them for the title. And, and let's just roll down the list here. I mean, Bastianini still broken ankle. Still broken hand. 
We'll try to race this weekend on it. Good luck. Yeah, good luck to him. Uh, he's still, he, last I checked, he was still in a cast for that broken ankle. Oh, yeah. Um, Alex Marquez, broken ribs. Mm-hmm. Luca Marini, broken collarbone at the start of the sprint. And now Bezecchi and Piero in an right. unrelated series crash. It's down to these two. Two, two, two of the fastest mistake-prone riders having to ride at 100% on equal machinery. Yeah. Two of the Who highest... do you pick in this situation? God knows. Like, these are two of the most high-risk, high-reward riders we've ever seen in this sport. And that's a sport that's had Mark Marquez in it for some time. <laughs> like, He's going to be on one of these things next year. Oh, well, yeah. Might as well play Monopoly with three dice now. Then, okay, fine. Um, but yeah, yeah. This, this, this is ridiculous. This is a crazy title fight. This is going to go down to the wire, I think, because right now their strengths and weaknesses are virtually identical. Banyaya seemingly has a genuine problem with his brakes and his braking. Normally, his killer attribute as a rider, which is going to be fascinating. And we've never seen Jorge Martin in this scenario. He's got to fight for a championship now. Like we, this is uncharted territory for a rider of his ability. We know he's fast. He's always been breakneck fast. But can he handle the pressure? We just don't know. Well, and, and in Japan, I mean, he had plenty of opportunities to throw it all away. He nearly he did. almost did. And yet he was able to not only recover from that and stay in the race, but also go run down everyone from him, including Banyaya, and then ride away from him. Right. So I just don't. We're in uncharted territory with all protagonists. <coughs> hmm. More COVID. More COVID. And then, I mean, how is Ducati going to approach this? I don't know. I mean, well, I almost but, wonder with Banyaya and his brakes. I all because Ducati has done continuous development. I almost wonder if they've overspiced it. Maybe because we know they made a major change to their launch and their and their basically their whole shot device mm. um, a couple of races ago. I legitimately wonder if they're trying too much. It's like you've already got the dominant bike in the field. You've already got all the quality talent on said bikes that you could ever wish to have. Even last year's bike with Marco Bezzecchi has proven to be, again, genuinely competitive like it was with Bastianini last year. You don't need to do what you're doing. It's like that Seattle Mariners clip. Ken Griffey Jr. can only be great. And like maybe you're flying too close to the sun with this because you have Francesco Bagnai, who, don't get me wrong, is an incredible bike rider, an incredible talent, but we also know he's very fragile. It doesn't take much for him to make mistakes. We're like, yes, he won, he won the world title last year, but no one has ever won a world title being as much as a, as a wrecking ball as he has been. Well, and and that was up against, and we know the situation, we know the state of play right now. Fabio Quartararo was beyond his own limits to mitigate a bike that we know is now debatably the slowest one in the field. It didn't become the slowest one overnight. It's just that there was nothing left to give. Mm. And then Fabio started making mistakes creeping in. Neither of these guys have any margin for error anymore. Right. And that's what's going to make the back end of this title fight, which, like I said, is now a six-round shootout by all accounts. 
is going to be a fascinating running because by the, let's not forget as well, these next six races are going to be taking place over seven weeks. This is a triple header we're about to run into with Indonesia, Phillip Island, and then Thailand. They take a week off, and then it's Malaysia, Qatar, Valencia to close out the year. It's seven weeks. There's one thing that's all to mention. Well, if somebody gets hurt now, your season is over. If you if you if you take yep. a major injury now, your championship is done. So you, like there is so little margin for error here. You've now like you know, this is going to be a this is this is the real shit now. This is going to be the relentless run to close out the year that we've all we all feared this going into this season. This is it. We have six rounds in seven weeks to close out this season. God knows what's going to happen between now and November by the time we get to Valencia, because anything and I do mean anything could happen, and that's what will make it so fascinating. Like I said, next week. Indonesia, the first of six rounds in seven weeks. We will see how this plays out because if it's anything like last year, good Lord almighty, who knows what could happen. We might have to call forth the rain shaman again. Who knows? We'll, 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 we'll have to- yeah, there's a very realistic possibility that both of us got our preseason bet wrong. Who would have funk it? <laughs> we might have to there buy each other a die cost. Um, <laughs> no one wins. Go, Paco. <laughs> Bring me my die cost. If not, we're going to have to buy each other a die cost. the Ducati early? <laughs> Every little helps. Um, but uh, we'll get to Indonesia next week. Um, again, places you can find us. We're on Instagram, Motorsport 101 Pod, or on Twitter at uh, Dre underscore WTF1, at CBuckley917, at Motorsport underscore 101, our website, uh, motorsport101.com. Look out for next week um, because I will be talking at length about the Marquez departure um, on top of the standard race review. So look forward to that. Um, and of course, if you really like us, you can back us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. Be there for it. If you want to back us financially, you can listen to these shows live as they're being recorded and send the level early access to episodes when they're completed as well. Um, all of that good stuff. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Um, we'll be back for the Indonesian Grand Prix next week. But uh, until then, I've been Dre Harrison. He's been Cam Buckley. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Sayonara. Free. I'm free. He sounds like a biking version of Rita Repulsa. <laughs> Ah, after 10,000 years, I'm free. It's time to conquer Ducati.